of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is Austin Carr from the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you're talking Cavs basketball with Kenny and JT on 1480 WHBC. Thanks, AC, and we'll add Chris Fedor to that conversation right now via the hotline here on the Kenny and JT Show. Outstanding Cavs beat reporter, Cleveland.com. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Fedor. C-Fed, how was your all-star break? Did you travel to watch uh, Donovan in Utah, or did you stay home with the family? I actually stayed in Ohio, but I went to a farm in Somerset, Ohio, which is about three hours away, uh, a little bit south of Columbus, near the Zanesville area. My wife and I have uh, mutual friends that live on a farm out there, so it was a perfect way to escape reality and just kind of chill out for the weekend. Ha-ha! <laughs> Fedor on the farm! Those cows on the farm! Oh my God, they have so many cows. They have chickens, they have goats, they have ducks. They've got it all out there. It's a different way of life, and my son Elliot was just in heaven. He was loving it. Now, how old is Elliot, real quick? We'll get to the Cavs here in a second. More important things, family. How old's Elliot now? He is going to be 15 months in six days. All right. What was his favorite farm animal? He really, really liked the cows, um, but he was trying to pet the chickens. So I, I think I'm going with chicken on this one. Um, okay. He usually, every time we say chicken, he says bok bok, and every time he <laughs> eats chicken, he says yeah. bok bok. So we told him that those were the bok boks, and he was very, very excited, and he was trying to catch them. Perfect, because here's a perfect dad joke for you when he's uh, you know able to understand <laughs> jokes. You ready for yeah. this? I'm ready. Why are you say Elliot? Why are chickens so funny? And he'll say, Why, Daddy? Know. Very good. Because, because, because. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. You're in for it. Yes. That's a perfect dad joke for you, man. Did you get that one from Giannis's dad book joke that he always brings to every single press conference after game? No, I did not. I, uh, I, I remember that from my dad from way back in the day. My dad had a, a dad sense of humor like that. So I figured I'd pass that along to you. I was happy to All hear right. that he likes chicken, so you can use that one uh, a I'll little put it later in my when back he's I'll get ready to use that one when he's old enough to understand the joke. There you go. Very good. All right, Chris, let's get down to brass taxes here. Cavaliers at the all-star break, 38-23 and in fourth place. Uh, Right now, they kind of control their own destiny, much like they did last year, but injuries took them out of the playoffs and into the play-in game. Your thoughts on the remaining schedule, and is this team good enough to, uh, number one, get a playoff spot, and number two, hold on to home court advantage in the first round? Yeah, I think so. I think so in part because of the teams that are behind them, right? Um, New York has its own issues. The Brooklyn Nets dismantled their roster basically at the all-star break, so they've got a lot of things that they have to figure out. Um, And then, of course, the Miami Heat have been up and down throughout the course of the year, and they've been dealing with injuries. But I think the biggest thing that the Cavs have going for them in the second half of the season, guys, is the fact that they've got statistically the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the way. Some of the teams that are on the schedule, some of the way that the the schedule sets up with the home games versus the road games, not as many back-to-back. 
like a big meat of their schedule is already done and behind them. And yeah, they've got some tough games coming up, including straight out of the all-star break against Denver. But statistically for them to have the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the way, combined with the fact that this is as healthy as they've been all season long, there is a pathway for them to actually make up ground on the top three teams in the East being Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. And I think there's more of a chance for them to make up the ground on those teams than there is for the Cavs to fall out of the four spot. Okay, let me ask a question. It's been burning until, I mean, since they announced this last week, before the All-Star break and everything else about Kevin Love. I want to ask you, though, about this team in general. I want to ask you about the psyche of a team that they looked up to this guy because he's a veteran. I want to ask you about the chemistry of this team moving forward. Danny Green in, Kevin Love out. Let's just start with that part of it before I ask you about the contract. I mean, I think I could be wrong on this, obviously, and I know how important Kevin was behind the scenes, and I know how much the guys in that locker room looked up to him, and they talked about him helping set the tone with his sacrifice helping set the tone with his attitude, his professionalism, and all those different things. You can't take that away from Kevin. But the other thing that you recognize just being around this team for a week, week and a half, just how connected they are. And I don't think one guy leaving the organization is going to cause them to fracture. I think their bond is too strong. I think they like each other too much. And I think they recognize that what they have behind the scenes is special with or without Kevin. It is a loss because a lot of guys looked up to him and he was important behind the scenes. Um, But I don't think it's something that is going to cause them to derail or anything along those lines. So from what we understand is Kevin Love and his camp initiate the buyout or ask for it. What do the Cavs have to gain by releasing Kevin Love? I've been asking this question to a lot of people over the last few days. And guys, I honestly don't know the answer to that. The only thing that I'll say is that maybe they gain some good faith from Kevin's agent, Jeff Schwartz. Maybe they gain some good faith from other people around the NBA. But I was wondering the same thing that you were. I don't understand how there's a great benefit for them to do this at the time that they did do it. Um, And, Look, I mean, they're, I don't want to say that there are bad feelings now between Kevin and the organization, but like the bond between them is not nearly as strong as it was. Um, and I would say that the relationship is more strained today between Kevin and the decision makers in the organization, Kobe Altman, Mike Ganzi, J.B. Bickerstaff, than it was before. So if that was going to be the result regardless, like a strained relationship between the two sides, then I don't know why they were willing to appease Kevin, um, but they ultimately ended up doing it. And I think it's part, I think part of the reason why they were okay with it is because they don't think he can play at the highest level anymore. Chris Fedor, Cleveland.com Cavs beat writer joining us right now on the Kenny and JT show. Chris, before we went on the air today, I told Kenny, and we looked at some of the numbers, and I, even though it's career lows for Kevin Love this year with about eight points and seven rebounds a night, in your second unit, that still seems pretty good to us. Wouldn't you just ride out the storm? Or why did he fall out of favor? Because he can't play anymore. <laughs> but those, I mean, numbers, those numbers resound on this second unit and says we need somebody with those numbers in the second unit. I disagree strongly. I mean, 
There is nothing that Kevin Love brings to this organization right now in this state with him playing this way that Dean Wade cannot give to the Cavs. Every single metric that you want to pull up will point to the Cavs being a better basketball team with Dean Wade on the court as opposed to Kevin Love. Uh, Kevin's numbers in terms of on-off rating offensively and defensively are the lowest that they've ever been throughout the course of his career. The Cavs are worse offensively with Kevin on the court by numbers. They are worse defensively with Kevin on the court. Um, and with Dean Wade in the lineup playing 10 or more minutes, the Cavs are 20-7. and seven. And the only way for Dean to consistently play 10 or more minutes is for Kevin to be out of the rotation. So he was going to continue to be out of the rotation because the Cavs are more healthy than they were at the beginning of the season. There's a commitment to putting Dean Wade in the rotation, and he gives them more offensively and defensively. He allows them to switch their two bigs, something that they like doing. And he is a much, 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 much better defensive player than Kevin ever has been, and Kevin is right now. And this is a defense-first organization. This is a defense-first team. That's how they're going to be successful. If they're going to be successful in the postseason, it's going to start there. And I don't think it's surprising, guys, if you even go back to last year in the play-in tournament against Atlanta, Kevin played 10 minutes against the Hawks because they repeatedly targeted him over and over and over again. He couldn't hold up on the defensive end of the floor, and I think J.B. Bickerstaff recognized that they were a better team with Kevin on the bench than with him in the lineup. And every single number that you want to go and find is going to support that fact. Here's what I'll say, Chris, about Kevin. I would have just kept him for insurance. And maybe he would have been upset. Maybe that's why. Maybe he was yeah. causing a, a stir in the clubhouse, right, and, and trying to pull a Kyrie, force them to, in this case, not trade him but get rid of him. But I would have kept him just in case something happens to uh, Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, sure. knock on wood, hopefully nothing does. Because oh, Lopez, eh, you know, well, what are you going to do at the four spot if, uh, you know, if Mobley goes down? Well, okay, Dean yeah. Wade, you're telling me. Well, maybe. But just the experience, especially for the postseason, that to me was the only value that he brought to the team still at this time. I think there's a harsh reality about the Cavs and their current roster makeup. And, and I've been saying this from the very beginning of the season, and I haven't seen anything that has changed this. They aren't on the same level as Milwaukee, Philadelphia, um, or even the Boston Celtics. Right. And if if that if comes to fruition, guys, if, if Jared Allen misses any kind of time, if Evan Mobley misses any kind of time, um, if one of their most important players were to miss any kind of time, they're screwed. They're just not going to be the yeah. same team. Like, they are built on the strength of Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and Donovan Mitchell. And even if they were to hang on to Kevin, he was not going to be able to make up for a loss of somebody as important as Evan Mobley or Jared Allen. So you're right. I mean, obviously their depth has taken a hit here. And if something happens to them on the injury front, then it's not going to be good. But that's going to be the reality, whether Kevin was here or not to me. All right, Chris Fedor, roster spot open with Kevin gone now? Or was that filled with Danny Green? Do they still have one spot left? Yeah, they have one spot left. Uh, they have, obviously, some more salary that they can work with because of this buyout with Kevin. Um, and I do believe that they're going to explore bringing in somebody um, to, to fill out the roster, at least, and maybe give them a little bit more insurance than what they have right now. 
The other thing is, like, Isaiah Mobley has played really, really well. I'm not saying that he's ready for the postseason. I'm not saying that he's ready for 20 to 25 minutes. But Mobley has played really, really well in the G League. Mamadi Diakite has played really well in the G League as well. Um, So I think there are options internally, but they are looking for somebody to bring into this organization um, if if just to fill out one of their last spots um, in the rotation. Would it be a shooter or a big? I think it's going to be a big at this point in time. I think the fact that they were able to bring in Danny Green, uh, get him done in the buyout market, he gives them that floor spacing, that shooting, more offense than what they consistently get from Isaac Okoro. I think they'll turn their direction um, to, to a big and see if they can boost that front court depth. Chris Fedor is our guest, outstanding Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com. Follow him daily for all your Cavalier updates at Chris Fedor on Twitter. Uh, Chris, J.B. Bickerstaff, um, early in the season I was concerned about him. Uh, you know, As the season's progressed, I think he's done a better job uh, with his rotations. Uh, the defense has been pretty good all season along with the, the fact that they try to slow it down somewhat to shorten the game uh, and all mm-hmm. of that. Give me your thoughts on where J.B. is at and does he have something to prove in the playoffs just like the players do? Oh, of course he does. There's no doubt about that. And that was one of the things that I kept saying um, as JB was going through some of his issues during the regular season is that, you know, in terms of what the Cavs are looking to accomplish this year, uh, JB is going through things just like these young players are. Like, he's learning on the fly. He's trying to figure out what works for him, what doesn't work for him. And there are a lot of things that he's still learning about himself, just like there are a lot of things that we're learning about JB as a coach. So I do think in, in some ways this has been a very, very important learning experience for him, and I think he has gotten better through some of his slip-ups and some of his failures. Um, And and I think it remains to be seen just how good of a tactician he is when you get into a seven-game series, how quick he is to adjust in-game when you get into a seven-game series, Um, the kinds of lineups and rotations he uses when he gets into the seven-game series. Um, In saying all of that, he has also said from the very beginning, and other people inside the organization have been saying from the very beginning, that for them, it was never about October, November, December, right? It was never having all of the answers that they wanted to have by that time of year. It was about trying to be at their best and having things figured out to a good enough level going into the postseason. And I feel like he is a better coach today than what he was at the beginning of the year. And I feel like the Cavs are a better team with more answers than at the beginning of the season. Chris, about a week ago at the trade deadline, a lot of us thought that uh, Karis LeVert might be moved. Well, they they didn't move Karis LeVert. He he is the key in that second unit right now. And I was hearing things, and I'm sure you'll know more than I. Are they looking to extend him this offseason? I mean, they have to at this point in time. And and it's it's the corner that they back themselves into, guys. Yeah, And it's part of the reason why I think they were looking um, to move Karras at the deadline. And they had a bunch of conversations about it. And they reached out to the Brooklyn Nets, and they tried to get Royce O'Neal, and they tried to get Bogdanovich from the Atlanta Hawks. And they inquired about Cam Johnson's availability after he was sent oh, from Phoenix man. to Brooklyn. Like, there were guys that were high-priority targets for them that they either did not have enough to get or just weren't moved at the trade deadline. 
And part of the reason why I think they would have been okay moving Karras is because they didn't want to be backed into this corner that they're now backed into. Look, this is a team that is going to be um, over the cap, projected to be over the cap next year. And if they do not extend Karis LeVert this offseason, they aren't going to have the means to replace him with the kind of salary that would get you a player comparable to Karis. The best that they would be able to do is give somebody the mid-level exception. And the guys that the Cavs can get for the mid-level exception around $10, $11 million per year are not as quality players as somebody like Karis. And I know Karis has his flaws. There are questions about his long-term fit here. But if they let him go, they do not have the means to replace him. That's the situation that they're in when it comes to their salary cap right now. All or nothing with him, man. Uh, 41 one game, won the next game, Chris. And it's just uh, I don't like the fit at all. I was hoping they were going to find a way. Cam Johnson, I loved that. You brought him up, and I think, damn, come on. Swing something. Get a three. Why couldn't they use a three-way with uh, 32 second-round picks and something like that (laughs) to to grab Cam Johnson, an outside shooter that they desperately need? Because they just didn't have enough to get him. I was told that they went down a path, a very, very unique and creative path, to try and get Royce O'Neal from the Brooklyn Nets, who has playoff experience, can knock down threes at a high clip, has played alongside Donovan Mitchell, and is losing minutes with the Brooklyn Nets. They did some crazy things, even trying to acquire a future first-round pick so that they could use their own first-round pick. Um Brooklyn said, we're not moving him. And Brooklyn said, we're not moving Cam Johnson. And I think it was difficult for the situation that the Cavs were in because by rule, unless they did some crazy other things with their roster and they made some other chess moves, they could not offer a future first-round pick. And that's the thing that a lot of these teams were coveting. Um, Like, yeah, they could have bundled together four, five second-round picks and something else and gotten like, a Doug McDermott type player or a Josh Richardson type player, like would those guys have made the Cavs significantly better? I don't think so. Like, yeah, it would have been better, but significantly better. I don't think so. So like all the guys that they wanted most, they didn't have enough to get or they just weren't moved. And I think there's a reason why they weren't moved because they're very, very valuable to the teams that currently have them. Chris, great stuff as always, not only with us, but on a daily basis with the Cleveland.com Plain Dealer on Twitter. We appreciate the time and the insight. And remember, because, because, all right? Now, Elliot will love that. Kenny, I'm never going to forget that for as long as uh, Good. I'm, I'm, I made an impact on you uh, in more ways than one, but you'll probably remember that the most. Chris, thanks so much for the time. Say hello to Holly and Elliot, all right? You got it, guys. Anytime. Don't bring that stuff in here.